Is there anything worse than not being able to sleep, especially when you're tired? Insomnia, night wakings, night sweats, having to pee several times a night, anxiety, all of these things play a role in what is interrupting our sleep in perimenopause. And yet the energy demand of perimenopause means we actually need more sleep. Plus enough good quality sleep is critical for brain function, energy stores, muscle repair, and fat burning, hormone balancing, and about a hundred other things. So we need more, but we're getting less. If this is you, tune into this episode to learn why sleep is harder in perimenopause, how to handle it when it is cyclical and you wake up more during specific phases of your cycle, why it's not always because of perimenopause and what else it could be, and five tips and tools to help you get a better sleep this week. What's up, sisters? Welcome to the Period Whisperer podcast. I'm Bria. I'm your host. If you're new, I'm so happy you are here. I'm your perimenopause and menopause sister, your holistic trainer, hormone specialist, translator of your female body. I'm a recovering people pleaser and hustle addict turned body whisperer and hormone decoder. And I am here to help you de-stress your body, decode what it is saying, become the CEO of it, and own your own health, energy, and weight loss again. This show is for you, the overwhelmed, overworked, underappreciated step woman who dreams of a body they feel strong, energetic, and sane in. The woman who knows that she shouldn't just wave the white aging flag and believes in a body and life of peace, love, and purpose. But you don't just know how to get there yet. So if you are stuck in your body, your energy, your life, you are in the right spot. Let's lean in and learn what our bodies are saying to us. Hey there, sister. How are you feeling in your body today? How'd you sleep last night? I know that for me, at the time of this recording, I am in my luteal phase, which is that phase right before my period, and I don't sleep as well during that time. (laughs) Uh, But I've become aware of it, and there's actually things that can be really, really helpful, and I hear this from a lot of women. So I'm excited to dive in and share with this some of this stuff with you guys today, because there really is, you know, when I was, when my babies were young, my kids were babies, I remember my mom calling and being like, how did you sleep last night? How was your night? It meant so much to me that she would ask that, because gosh, those nights can be hard. And she used to say, I know that if I can get a good night's sleep, that I can handle just about anything in the day. And I think emotionally and mentally, that is just, you know, there's just no truer statement. I mean, there's a reason sleep deprivation is a form of torture. It is really hard to mentally and emotionally handle anything very well or to your peak performance in life when you haven't had a good night's sleep. But there's way more to sleep than that. And I I feel like I don't need to tell you this. We all know these things, but you know, not just for cognitive function and also to fight off disease, sleep in in like mental health disease and issues. We know that sleep is critical for muscle repair and fat burning, meaning if you are not getting enough quality and quantity of, or quantity of quality sleep, we'll call it. Cause you can, sometimes I have clients that can sleep for like 10 hours and still don't feel rested. So that tells us that you're not having very good quality of sleep, right? If you're in bed for that amount of time and you're waking up and you're still dragging most days, then we know, or more often than not, we know that the quality of your sleep is off. So there's sort of those two issues, right? There's, am I getting enough sleep and am I getting 
good quality sleep because you can get away with a little less sleep if it is good quality sleep. And I, I just beyond like, so, so what we know is in when we're trying to release weight, when we're trying to have more energy, when we're dealing with a hormone imbalance, when we are um, trying to heal or trying to, you know, function at peak performance, if we're dealing with night sweats or hot flashes or brain fog or anxiety, sleep is the number one most pillar, most important pillar to get fixed. And this is why in all my programs, with all my coaching, we talk about the four health pillars, right? These are the critical pillars of health that must, they're like the, those foundational kindergarten pieces that have to be there in order for us to have optimal health, sleep, proper nutrition, movement, and pleasure, which kind of ties into stress management, right? Because we can't really have pleasure without stress management. You know, we can't be really happy and fulfilled and enjoy something if we're stressed all the time. So those ones really tie together. And we, I always think whenever I think about it, I, you know, I think about animals in the wild. What do we know that animals in the wild always make sure to do every day? They sleep, they eat, they move and they play, right? They you know, play, they shake off stress. Like these are our foundational fundamental pieces. But sleep, and even though all of these pieces are really tied together, sleep is the most critical piece. We really cannot fight sickness. We can't, you know, optimize any part of our body and function properly. We can't even make quality nutrition decisions. We can't repair. We don't have the energy to work out without good sleep. So we, and we don't have the ability to repair from our workouts. So that knocks out those two pillars. We can't manage stress at all. So it's really difficult to lock in your other foundational health pillars, which are paramount to our hormones at this time, without quality sleep. And I know I don't need to tell you, I mean, we're so used to this in the world, right, in our culture at least, you know, to kind of hustle and not get enough sleep to, you know, there's a lot of people that almost wear it as a badge of honor, but as I have gotten older, sleep has become more and more so valuable to me. Again, not just the quantity, but the quality of that sleep. Because when you wake up and you feel rested, you can accomplish everything you want. You can be present. You can make healthier food choices. You can laugh more easily. You can handle the stressful situations in your life. It's such a valuable part. I had a client once as well, you know, we were really dug into sleep and she told me that she, you know, woke up in the morning, weighed herself, went back to bed, weighed herself two hours later when she woke up and saw the scale drop. And I think that is, you know, just proof that we recognize, you know, having good quality sleep actually statistics show us that actually impacts 55% more body fat burn, not losing muscle, but burning body fat when you're, you know, when you're sleeping properly. And when you're not sleeping properly, you will actually begin to, you know, you'll deal with more inflammation, you'll gain more weight. So it's such a critical part of how we thrive. And yet it's so hard, right? It, it's not one of these things where we can control, where you can book a time in your schedule to, you know, go for a workout, where you can hire someone to deliver your healthy meals, right? Sleep is something that we cannot really control. We really have to allow it to happen. We have to create the space for it. So it's a trickier piece. And yet it's a critical piece if we don't figure this one out. 
then nothing else can can nothing else will go smoothly. So I'm excited to dive in with you guys today. I want to walk you through a few key pieces, but what we need to know if you're struggling with sleep, what we need to know is that it does become harder in perimenopause for us to have the same quality of sleep that we were having. And that's mainly due to one, the fluctuation of hormones um, happening because we are, we are changing in that piece. If you're, if, if you recall from past episodes, or maybe this is your first episode you're listening to, two things are happening in the body during perimenopause. One, the job of the hormones of our main sex hormones is being passed from ovaries to adrenals, and two, the amount of those hormones are decreasing. And if we are not going through that in a balanced way, then they fluctuate quite a lot. Um, so we want to make sure that we're aware of the fact that, okay, it can be a little bit harder because of these fluctuations. And we want to make sure we're supporting those fluctuations with the right strategy so that we don't have, you know, like tsunami style waves of, of hormones changing. We really want them to be more of like a, you know, a gentle rolling waves if they have to fluctuate inequally, right, in an, in an imbalance. That's when we start to have more of that difficulty. Uh, and, and, and I also think that in perimenopause, I mean, we're talking about a time in our lives in midlife when we are handling quite a lot, right? We are not just going through this change in our body where there's more, a greater workload going on. Um, there, there are some actual changes in the chemicals in our brain or in the impact in our brain at the same time where our hippocampus and our amygdala are much more aware and sensitive to these hormone fluctuations, but they're aware of the things that bother us. So now we can be mentally grinding away a little bit more. So those are some common things that, that are really the reason it happens in perimenopause, but it's not always because of those hormones that we are having these sleep disruptions, right? We are in a time where so much is going on. We're still raising kids. We're dealing with aging parents. You know, maybe we're dealing with some of our own health stuff in our life. We have peaking careers. We're still thinking about our future and going after our goals. There's a lot going on in this time in our lives, not to mention the world, which we can hold on to. So, there's a lot happening, and that's really what is happening in perimenopause that impacts our sleep. But there are other things that happen as well, and, and it really does come down to these other four pillars. So even though sleep is really a big domino effect on impacting the other ones, if our other ones are really out of whack, then it can throw off certain aspects of our sleep. Like if our if we're eating a lot of inflammatory foods, that's in, in a, our food, uh, our our timing of when we eat is thrown off, then, you know, we can really disrupt our sleep that way. If we are, you know, working over exercising um, or overeating or under eating, that can also throw off our sleep. Because just in general, in perimenopause, we're just more sensitive because of this greater workload going on. Another thing to recognize is that when perimenopause, you know, comes around, because our hormones are a little bit more sensitive, we can be more aware of the cyclical interruptions in our sleep. So it's very rare that I hear people complaining about not get, not being able to get a good quality sleep during their follicular phase, which is that first phase after you end a period or a, or a bleed week. 
But when we head into the ovulatory phase, this is when like all the hormones are coming to the party, right? Our hormones kind of come to the party so that we can ovulate. So we've got them all there, estrogen, progesterone, um, FS, FS, FSH, let's just, let's just get the, the language right here. FSH, which is follicular stimulating hormone, LSH, luteal luteinizing stimulating wow we're just having a great day with my with my language my brain is not firing like i told you i did not have the best of sleep last night in my luteal phase um so this is what i'm trying to tell you right now and and testosterone all of these things are coming to the party so it can actually create a lot of anxiety you know or restlessness during that time and then, of course, as we head into our luteal phase, which is that PMS phase, the one that gets the worst rap of all, and that's where I'm at right now, our natural body cortisol rises, our metabolism rises, so we uh, have more cortisol going on in the body, which if we're already dealing with elevated levels of cortisol disrupting our hormones, that's more work on the liver, that um, impacts what we call our circadian rhythm, so our circadian rhythm is really our, our sleep-wake hunger cycle and our energy cycle that way where if it's off in the day, like if we're not eating regularly, if we're not going to bed at a regular time, we're not waking up at a regular time, then we can have a real disrupt. And most often that's somewhere between 2 and 4 a.m. So if you're waking up at 2 to 4 a.m., it really has much more to do with that cortisol issue. If you're waking up in night sweats, that's typically a cortisol issue. If you're having to pee all of the time, you know, that can be a, you know, a disruption in the other hormones or it's just a real sensitivity. It could have to do with some with food sensitivities that we're going through. So there's a lot coming on that could be happening. Um, but all that to say, no whether you're struggling to fall asleep or whether you're struggling to stay asleep, whether this is because you are in perimenopause and it's the fluctuations of your estrogen and progesterone, or whether it's a disruption in your circadian rhythm, regardless, there are some really key tips and tools that when you lock these in, when you make this a priority, you will heal no matter what the problem is, no matter what's keeping you awake at night. So I want to walk you through five tips and tools to get you there because I remember when I was really slammed with perimenopause, it was it was my sleep that finally drove me to go see the doctor, right? Because honestly, I was in a point in my life where I'm like, I don't even have time to make an appointment and go to the doctor and talk about this because sometimes you get to the doctor and you're like, oh, I'm fine. I don't need to be doing this right now, right? You don't even know why you're even there anymore. But I was definitely in a phase where it was so bad. I had been able to ignore like the anxiety that I'd been having. I had this constant like twitch in my left eye, which was you know, really irritating, you know, it was gaining weight, which was annoying, but I was really more bothered by the digestive upset, the brain fog, the continued fatigue, the heavy, heavy periods. It was really the sleep that, you know, that kind of drove me there. When I could not get that quality, that night of sleep, I knew, I knew I was, you know, in trouble and that something had to change. And for me, it really was a lot of night sweats. I was constantly waking up every night at 2 a.m. And then I would just sometimes would not get back to sleep or I would be awake for about three hours and then barely fall back asleep before the alarm wakes up. And I know this is something so many of you are familiar with. And, and it's really quite a miserable thing because when you cannot function that way, you get a lot less patient with your the people in your life. You can't work at the capacity that you want to work at. You can't go after your goals. You can't do the things you like to do. You really just want to crash out on the couch and you have no motivation. And you have no libido. A lot of the libido issues that we run into 
in perimenopause actually have a lot more to do with just not having enough energy. The libido's there, but it's just not a priority, right? Whenever we're stressed, when the body's dealing with so much, um, that the desire and the drive for reproduction really shrinks down because it's just not a safe environment anyway. So our libido really tanks when we're struggling with sleep and struggling with some of these other issues. So let's get into it because there are five amazing, I think, tips and tools that, you know, and this is what I've been employing being here, you know, going through my luteal phase. I always have to remind myself of this, no matter how good I get at syncing with my cycle, no matter how great I am at, you know, healing and optimizing my hormones, I still have to remind myself of this every single month when all of a sudden I think, oh, I'm just not having a really great sleep. So tip number one is to start by regulating your schedule. And what that means is regulating your four key health pillars. So I always remember there was this amazing um, like video that went around on Facebook a million years ago where they were talking about kind of the priorities of your life. And, and the person standing up there had like a big jar and they're like, and they had a, you know, a pile of rocks, a pile of pebbles, a pile of sand and some water. And, you know, the rocks were really your key, you know, key foundational pillars of life. You know, the pebbles were like the most, you know, the next most important things, right? Like bills and things like that, that you have to take care of. The, the pebbles or the sand was really all the other things in life, you know, all the to do's, all the shoulds. And then, you know, the water might be your social stuff or the extras that we say yes to that we don't need to. And the example in this was if you pour the water in first or pour the sand in first, if you're prioritizing the things that aren't the most important pieces of the puzzle, you can't fit everything in. But if you start by putting in your major, the bigger rocks, if you put the big health pillars into your day first, and then you put in the next most important things, and then you put in your pleasure and joy, and then you pour in you know, that secret sauce on top, it can actually fit just about everything. And tell me if you if you've heard if you know what I'm talking about here. I hope I'm not just explaining something that doesn't make sense. But what I'm trying to say here is what we need to regulate our schedule. Whether you like it or not, our bodies are designed for habit and consistency. Because when we're all over the place, the body doesn't know when it gets to do its job. It's self-clean, it's fighting of this, it's digesting over there. It's really, really confused. When, when we're working like a well-oiled machine, like the body knows when it's waking up, it knows when it's going to get its first meal, it knows when it's time to digest, it knows when it gets to rest, then we're much better able to maximize our energy and also get more into these deeper sleeps and these quality of sleep. So one of the first important tip and tool is just to start going to bed at the same time every day, waking up at the same time every day, and eating in a regular schedule, ideally two hours within waking, four to five hours after that, four to five hours after that, and then not three hours before bed. So you want to make sure you're eating enough in those in those pockets so that you are full and satisfied in between. And it doesn't take long to figure that out. A lot of people ask, like, how much should I eat? I'm like, eat enough so you're full for four to five hours. That's really what we need. So we want to make sure we're regulating our schedule. So for me, I am a big fan of like going to bed around, you know, being in bed at 9.30, waking, you know, I'm asleep by 10 and waking up around 5.30 to 6.00. Those are my kind of eight hours right in there. And then eating within two hours and just really keeping that regular schedule. The next tip and tool is to prioritize your nutrition. So 
although again, all of the pillars are really, really important. It's going to be a lot easier to get your movement in if you're rested and have you good and you have good quality nutrition. It's going to be a lot easier to manage stress and find space for joy in your life if you are sleeping well and regulating your nutrition. So after sleep, your nutrition really should be where your energy goes. And this was something I used to mess up all the time. You know, I was barely wasn't sleeping much. I was, you know, neither here nor there with my nutrition, but I was always getting my workout in. And it's sort of a mismanagement of our priorities. It doesn't work in order that way because each one builds on the other. I always think about it like teaching a child to read. You know, before we can just open a book and read, we really need to learn the alphabet. Once we know the letters of the alphabet, we can learn the sounds of the alphabet. Once we know the sounds, we can start putting letters together and building those compound sounds, and then we learn to read. And that's a lot like our four health pillars where we first need to begin by making sure we're having really good quality sleep and then we need to make sure our nutrition is on to support our sleep that way. So what that looks like with prioritizing your nutrition is one, making sure that you are eating regularly to regulate your blood sugar. That'll help that circadian rhythm. It'll help you fall asleep at night. It'll help you wake up and give your body the space so it's not trying to digest when it's going to bed so that it knows it's in that restful state. And more specifically, that you're not eating a lot of cortisol inducing foods. So we know that caffeine, sugar, alcohol, all of these things immediately spike cortisol in the body for a a longer period of time. So any one of these things alone in your day is going to disrupt your sleep that night. So really taking a time period, taking those four to six weeks to cut out those inflammatory foods and just make sure you are eating enough, eating regularly in those three pieces. So number one, regulate your schedule. Number two, prioritize your nutrition. Number three is to choose the right exercise and when to exercise. So we we all need functional movement every single day. Our bodies are designed for it. Making sure you are getting walking in, you are getting seven to 10,000 steps in is a critical part of functional movement. Making sure you are stretching in your day, especially as we're getting older because gravity's pulling us down at all times. And when you are tight, then it is harder to sleep, right? The body even stiffens up a little bit more. So making sure you are finding time in your week to expand and do expansive style movement, whether that's just a 10 minute stretch before bed or actually a yoga class that you might go to, taking the time to get those walks in and also doing the yoga. So pulling back on the heavy fitness until you fixed your sleep and fixed your fixed your nutrition is a really key piece of the puzzle. And then making sure you're getting in this functional movement every day for option, optimal sleep. But my the some of the best time, and research shows that some of the best times to move is actually first thing in the morning, that we get better quality sleep when we move in the day. And, and it's really negligible if you're working out midday. So we want to work out or do our morning walk or do our yoga practice or whatever it is you're doing during your healing phase first thing in the morning. Another good time is after dinner. So getting out for a little walk after dinner. I mean, especially if you have kids or a dog or a partner or someone to walk with, you know, get out, like have that meal and just get out for 20 minutes after it'll regulate that blood sugar. It'll help utilize the food that you're eating and it'll just help calm your body down as well. So making sure that you do have exercise first thing in the morning and as a bonus, getting that after dinner movement in is so, so valuable. Okay, number four is regulating your lighting in a circadian rhythm. Now, 
This is an interesting one, I find, because, you know, so for me, I'm waking up right now, you know, I wake up around 5.30 or 6, and it's still dark out. It's still dark until about 7, 7.30 here, and I know it's dark even later in some parts of of, um, of this continent anyway. So what I find so interesting is that stati- even though it's ideal to get sunlight in your eyes within the first 20 minutes of waking up in the day, that if you cannot get sunlight in your eyes, you can, if you go out into the, you know, if you turn on bright lights in your house, it does have an impact because we want to stimulate and wake up the body so that it knows, okay, this is the time we can get that, get that cortisol actually moving when we want it to get moving. And that way we have the optimal amount of melatonin, which is our, you know, our sort of calming hormone, which is also a fat burning hormone that comes at night when we want to wind down and go to sleep. So making sure you're regulating your lighting by going almost with the sun when you first wake up turn on the bright lights in your house get yourself feeling alive again if you can and the light is is if the sun is up when you're waking up get outside into that sunlight which which is where the nice thing is if you're if the sun is up and you can go for that walk first thing in the morning, then you're getting that twofer altogether, right? You're able to get your movement outside. You're going to get the sun in your eyes, no sunglasses, get that brightness in. It's really going to impact your ability to regulate your sleep-wake hormones, which is really important. And our circadian rhythm, right? This is the, as I was saying, this is the rhythm, our 24-hour clock that really impacts our hunger levels, our energy levels, our sleep, our sleep-wake levels is our foundational rhythm. We're all born with this rhythm. So when it's disrupted, it's going to throw off the other rhythm as well, our infradian rhythm, our estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, hormone rhythm. Um, and that's when we start to get into further trouble in perimenopause. Because So we want to really create that solid foundation. So waking up, getting that bright light in your eyes right away. And likewise, at night, when the sun is going down, you want to start to like dim the, the lights in your house, turn off the overhead lights, turn on the lamps a little, wind it down and stay off those screens as you head toward bed, you know, especially that last hour before bed. Um, we want to make sure we're staying out of that blue light for, you know, right there because it really is has a massive impact on our melatonin levels and our ability to wind down and fall to sleep. And it's not just falling asleep. Some people are so exhausted, they just crash out and fall asleep, no problem. But melatonin is really key for keeping us asleep all through the night and having that good quality of sleep sleep. So we want to make sure that you are, you know, not stimulating yourself. And a little bonus tip there is if you're waking up in the night and you do need to go to the washroom, consider making sure you have night lights in your in your bathroom so that you don't have to turn on any lights cuz any bright light at all or any, you know, yeah, any bright light at all in the middle of the night really disrupts that sleep and makes it much more difficult to fall back asleep and it can throw off your whole rhythm. So again, bright lights first thing in the morning, dim those lights as the sun goes down and, and really keep it, you know, if you have to get up, try to keep it as dark as you can. And number five is have a sleep routine. So I know a lot of people, (laughs) I get a lot of pushback from people on routines. I think, I think we can often think it's like, oh, I'm so boring. Like this is what I do with my life. But when you sleep well, when you see that your body can shift into fat burning at any age, when you are sleeping well, when you have the patience and the understanding to handle all the situations of your life, when you have a libido again, you know, when you're feeling really good and you know that it kind of falls on the fact of your sleep, then you stop worrying so much about, you know, feeling 
feeling like an old fuddy-duddy going to bed at 9.30 because you feel so darn good in your body. You want to protect that investment, right? I really think of sleep as an investment into my body. So having a really good quality sleep routine, and that can look like having a nice bath, a hot bath before bed with some like Epsom salts and some lavender drops to really impact that piece. It can look like, you know, sitting on, sitting against the wall with your legs in the air to kind of create that relaxing time. It can look like journaling to get all that stuff out of your head. It can look like just reading in bed or talking to your partner in bed. I mean, a lot of the times our libido issue comes because we haven't, again, we haven't taken the time to really enjoy a romantic time with our partner. So get into that bed before you're exhausted and spend a little time together if you can. But either way, if you have kids and they need you right up until that bedtime, then, then create that bedtime routine with them. But having that bedtime routine is really what helps wind us down. And I know so many of you know this because we used to do this with our children when they were babies, right? You'd give them a bath and you'd sing them a song and you'd read them two books. And like, it was just this natural routine that you put in. So the baby knew when it was time, you know, starting to wind down and time to go to sleep. And it's the same for us, especially when we're very sensitive to sleep in this time. Okay. So let me recap this one. You want to regulate your schedule, sleep, wake, eat, same time every day. Number two, you want to prioritize your nutrition, make sure you're eating enough food and make sure you're not um, eating inflammatory foods. Number three, choosing the right exercise and when to exercise. So get up, get your your walking and your movement done first thing in the day. Make sure you're stretching. Consider that walk after dinner in the evening. Regulate that lighting. So first thing in the morning, get the lights on. As the, as the sun's going down, dim those lights and keep off of the screens in that hour or so before bed. And of course, get that sleep routine going going. It doesn't have to be perfect, but there's so much power in in really committing to to a, a new program for a longer chunk of time, right? We grossly overestimate results that we can get in a short period of time and underestimate what happens over time. So when you really commit to something for a month or two, it's amazing the progress that can start to happen. And then you can kind of take your foot off the gas pedal. And this is a really great time for us to be committing to things because most people don't have any major travel vacation plans or disrupts until spring break rolls around. So you've got these two months right now to really dig in and commit to something that's going to move the needle for you. All right, sisters, that's what I have for you today. I'm wishing you the best night's sleep that you can possibly have. And just remember, if you're in that ovulatory phase, if you're having that restlessness in ovulation, then I really want to encourage you to work out or to get that movement and that exercise after dinner a little bit, um, because it's going to help move through some of that anxiety, move through and metabolize some of those hormones. So in my ovulatory phase, when all the hormones are coming to the party, if you're having disrupted sleep, I really like to, you know, get out after dinner and like play some basketball with my son or, you know, get for a longer walk uh, with myself or, or my wife, any of those sorts of things. If if you're having it in the luteal phase or the menstrual phase, then that's actually a really good time for you to consider taking a nap or in the middle of the day, even trying to go to bed a little bit easier or sorry, a little bit earlier. And also consider maybe a few more complex carbs in your dinner. So like, 
like having some more sweet potato in your dinner, those complex carbs in your dinner can actually really help with the serotonin, which is that kind of soothing, happy hormone that comes about, which makes it easier for us to fall asleep. Okay. That's what I have for you today. Go out, get an amazing night's sleep, reach out if I can help you, be more in your life and not just less on a scale. And we'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you so much for joining me on the Period Whisperer podcast. I want to encourage you to reach out to me directly and message me if there are topics or things you're struggling with so we can address those right where you are at. And of course, if you loved this episode, if you learned something, make sure to share it with your friends and please rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts.